we are a church that cares much about um, the Imago Day. Uh, and Martin Luther King weekend is a particular weekend where we can acknowledge uh, what's, what saints in the past have done to make um, uh, justice ring out in our great land. And uh, we certainly want to continue to pray for what's happening in Israel. Uh, we're going to continue in our, sur- in our look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at particular verse 8, uh, which is the section called the Beatitudes. And we're kind of powering through those. And we're going to look at, uh, in particular, um, well, before, before, I, before that I do that, let me, um, let me share, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had an experience of awe? This, this, uh, thank you. This sense, <laughs> I asked a question. This, this sense, this overwhelming sense of our smallness, this overwhelming sense of our rightful place maybe in, in the universe. Um, I lived, I'm from Colorado originally. My wife and I lived in Minnesota for 25 years. And one summer we were going to Colorado and we were driving through the badlands of South Dakota. And we, were, we, decided to ca- we decided to car camp. And um, so we pulled into the Badlands. And uh, I love national parks. I grew up in Colorado. And so my view of national parks is sort of locked into the Colorado experience. If any of you have spent any time in Colorado, it's sort of overwhelmingly beautiful. Uh, you know, high mountain peaks and snow and beautiful rivers that you can fish through. I, the, the smell of the air in the fall when you hear an elk bugling in the background is sort of overwhelming. That is sort of locked in my brain as to what's beautiful. Uh, and when we rolled into Badlands, um, oh, I gotta go backwards, I went too far. So good to know this technology. Uh-oh, oh, I'm lost. There it was. Yeah. So when we rolled into the Badlands, uh, we were greeted with this sign. And you can see this is not the Rocky Mountains. (laughs) Uh, This is the prairie and some kind of sandstony kind of of odd uh, formations. And uh, Kim at one time even looked at me and she said, now what's the big deal about the prairie? They were making a big deal about the prairie. And so I tried to explain to her, ah, yeah, it's a big deal. But even, even then, I wasn't particularly overwhelmed with the Badlands. But uh, we, we set up our tent, and, you know, we're good national park people, and we decided we're going to go to the, the ranger uh, ex, uh, lecture. And oddly enough, it was at night. And so we uh, went to the, the ranger um, lecture, and he started talking about the Badlands. And I don't remember anything he said there, but I do remember... Him, him sort of suggesting that we lay down and look at the stars. And I, I don't know, I, until that moment, I did not realize that it was a moonless night and it was a cloudless night and we were hundreds of miles away from the nearest town or city. And I was in awe. I have never seen the night sky from horizon to horizon literally Billions of stars. You could see the, the, the uh, intergalactic dust of the Milky Way in its grays and its purples. Shooting stars out of nowhere. Foof. Satellites moving in straight lines, nice and slow. 
It was unbelievable. It was a profound, awe-inspiring experience. I think God gives us those tastes, those moments where we get an idea of what it's like to be with God. And Jesus is going to make a, a promise here that we're going to dive in today. <clears throat> in Matthew 5, 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is an unbelievable promise. This is an unbelievable promise. Something that the Jews that were sitting at his feet would have been in awe of. This promise to be able to see God. Up until this time, the only time we would ever see God in the Old Testament were glimpses of God, right? Uh, Vermont just did an amazing job of walking us through, you know, the tabernacle and the temple where, where God was there but separate and apart. And it wasn't the full face of God. It was just the image of God. And even Moses, the one who wrote the old, uh, much of the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, was never allowed to see God. He was only allowed to see the back of God. Jesus is promising that we get to see God. What I experienced in the Badlands wasn't God, it was just the creation of God. The thing that God created on us, just his words, and it just poof. And Jesus is saying, you can see God. You can witness that awe in your own story. We are in the Beatitudes, and this is what Jesus promises. An opportunity to engage in a consistent an ever-unfolding sense of awe by being in the presence of God. This is an unbelievable promise. But it comes with a hitch. What's the hitch? You've got to be pure. Jesus says, the pure in heart will see God. You are blessed if you're pure in heart and you get to see God. The blessing is being able to be with God, to see God. The pathway is purity. The pathway is purity. Truly we are blessed when we see God. Again, to be blessed is to be, this is what Vermont has talked about. Again, to be blessed is to be deeply happy, content, satisfied. Jesus is saying we are blessed if we're seeing God. We are satisfied, we are content, we are satiated, we are happy when we're with God. The most profound, awe-inspiring experience we will have on earth will pale in comparison to the experience of seeing God face to face. Nothing will be more satisfying. Nothing will be more joy-producing. Nothing will be more peaceful. Uh, nothing will produce more security than seeing God face to face. All the things we pursue and want, our deepest desires are made true in that moment when we see God. Jesus provides a pathway to be able to be blessed with God in that way. And all we have to do is to be pure. I think that sits with you. That all you have to do is be pure. It sort of makes me panic a little bit. <laughs> I am not very pure. <laughs> My, the things that I say, the things that I do, the things that I think about are not always that are pure. And God demands purity. He demands purity. And yet, he, he holds the very thing that I want. Fortunately, God has created a pathway for us to, to be pure. The whole reason Jesus came and lived and taught and died uh, on the cross and rose again was to make us pure. 
It is not dependent on me to be pure. Praise God. Praise God. It is not dependent on my good deeds. It's because of what Jesus did that I'm pure. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. God made him who had no sin. That's Jesus. He had no sin. He was sinless. The only one to live a sinless life. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus, who committed no sins of his own, took on our own sins, and therefore we became righteous in God's eyes. We became pure in God's eyes. We are righteous and pure, not because I am good, not because I am holy, not because I'm any other category. It's only because of Jesus' death and resurrection and life. More than just forgiveness, though, we are credited with Jesus' sinful life, or sinless life, Jesus' sinless life, but also his good deeds. When Jesus healed the paralytic, we get credit for that. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, we get credit for that. When Jesus said to the mob that was responsible for his gruesome death, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We get credit for that. It's not just forgiveness, which is essentially a negative. It's also his righteousness, his good deeds. We get credit for. I know I don't deserve it. But yet God says you are pure and righteous because of what Jesus has done on the cross. I I can look forward to the day when I see God because of Jesus' death on the cross and his life, I can say I am pure. I am right in God's eyes. Not because I am good, but because of Jesus. Okay, if that's true, how do, how do we walk in purity? How do we walk in purity? There's a, um, what I'm going to call the way of grace. In, in God's eyes, we're pure, we've got his righteousness, but how do we walk in that? And I've, I've seen Christians sort of um, get this wrong in a couple different ways. There's a couple different ditches. On the uh, left, left, on the left, we'll see legalism, right? There's a couple different kinds of legalism. There's the self-justification legalism. Legalism uh, is simply abiding by a certain set of rules in order to be accepted by God. Legalism says you can become pure if only you would blank. This is the default position of the human heart. This is one of the great criticisms of re- religion overall, all religions, right? That the great, there's a great debate about which rules are the right rules to live by. Don't cuss or chew or go with girls who do. (laughs) Abiding by the rules is what matters here. Uh, Most religion, including Christianity, has fallen into this ditch. Right? My rules are better than your rules. Here's the way to follow Jesus. That's the thing that's amazing about Jesus is Jesus never said, here's the way to find God. What did he say? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He didn't say like Buddha or Muhammad or anybody else and said, let me show you the way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. It's the one distinguishing difference. Yet, 
as believers, as Christians, we've taken on legalism because it's, it's the default position of the human heart. I want to be self-justified. I want to feel better than everybody else. I want to walk in my own strength and my own ability. Legalism, and it kills. It kills. It kills, it steals, it robs from what Jesus did, and it robs from our, from our own joy, and I'll show you why here in a, in a second. Self-justification, you see there's kind of two forms of legalism. Self-justification, this, uh, this form of legalism believes that when I live by the rules better than others do, then I am better than them. I feel better about myself when I'm living by these rules. I kind of look down on other people because they don't live by my sets of rules. That's self-justification. Other form of legalism is self-condemnation. People who live by this form of legalism are really are really hard on themselves because they know they don't live up to God's standard. This person may deal with a lot of guilt and shame. They may actually be uh, have a hard time admitting or confessing their sin to others or even to themselves because they don't live up to God's standard. This person might look like they have it all together on the outside, but, but on the inside, they're being crushed. Legalism kills. Legalism crushes. So that's the left ditch, ditch is legalism. The other ditch is permissiveness. And frankly, this is a little bit more common in our culture today. This, is, um, this usually comes as a response to legalism. Living by what seems like a set of arbitrary rules is exhausting and kind of fruitless. The, the person with the permissive perspective says to themselves. So let's just say that the list of sins is not actually that bad. Sin is not a real problem. We used to think that certain sins were really bad, but now we know better. There's a permissiveness. We, we lower the power of sin and say it's not really that bad. And this is pervasive in our culture. Unfortunately, it has leaked its way into the church as well. If sin is not that bad, then why did Jesus go to the cross? If sin is not that bad, why did Jesus go to the cross? <clears throat> no, this sin is still a big deal to God. But the solution is not legalism. The solution is not to diminish the power of sin. And to say, oh, if it wasn't for the good old days, back when it wasn't so permissive. Well, the good old days weren't so good. Legalism and permissiveness are both man's way of dealing with sin, but there's a third way, the way of grace, and it's found in Galatians 5. <clears throat> We're just going to uh, look at a little bit of Galatians 5 here. I would encourage you, though, if this is striking close to your heart, uh, spend some time in Galatians 5. It is a powerful, powerful chapter. Galatians 5.16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Both legalism and permissiveness are powered by the flesh. God wants us to be led by the Spirit and to live the Christian life powered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes to live inside of us 
when we uh, give our lives to Christ. Galatians 5 talks about this, uh, this pull to live out our, uh, our Christian life as the flesh. Paul is challenging us to not live by the flesh, but instead encourages us to live the Christian life out of God's power, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Here's what most people think the Christian life is. God has saved me from my sins, and I'm really grateful, and so I am going to do my best to live for him. No. That's legalism. That's legalism. It is well-intentioned. It is, it is done out of a, a right heart and a right spirit, but there's legalism baked into that. That's not what God calls us to do. The, uh, God wants us to walk in the way of grace where we, where we stay away from the ditches of legalism and permissiveness, and we are to stay connected to him in intimate relationship and simply allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our lives. The Christian life is a constant state of listening to the Holy Spirit in a love relationship with him and allowing him to do his life through us. The word Christian just means little Christ. Christ didn't just save us. He wants to live his life through us. When, when, when Paul says, die to yourself, this is what he means. Our, our, our job, our life, is simply to submit to him. This is why we say God is sovereign in our lives. He has saved us through his mercy and grace, through his death, life and resurrection, and we have none, done nothing to earn salvation. We reject legalism in all its forms, we reject permissiveness in all its form, and we embrace spirit-led transformation. A little, little farther down. Galatians 5.22 says this, but the fruit of the spirit what is naturally produced by the Holy Spirit in our lives is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. See, I've got the NIV stuck in my head. <laughs> I'll, I'll read it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have, been crucified, have crucified the flesh with all its passions and its desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. God produces a pure Christian life powered by the Holy Spirit as we keep in step with Him. We don't have to try hard. We don't have to work harder. All we have to do is stay in love relationship with God and He will produce the fruit. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That all we have to do, we don't have to try harder. We don't have to work harder. We don't have to dismiss sin. All we have to do is stay in a love relationship with God and he will naturally produce it. How many of us need more love in our life? How many of us need more joy in our life? More peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more self-control. God promises it through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not asking you to muscle it through. He's not saying, come on, try harder. Get in there, boy. Get going. He's saying, no, rest in me, trust in me, rely in me, walk with me, I'll produce it. This is why we worship, this is why we praise. Because in him we, we move and have our being. In him 
we have salvation. In him, we live the Christian life. That's why it's a relationship with Jesus. It's not religion. That's why it's relationship. Just as the apple tree does not have to try to produce apples, so we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and God naturally, naturally produces these things in us. Gone are the notions of legalism and permissiveness to live a pure life that God desires. He has saved us by, the by his will and power and we are to live the Christian life by his will and power, not our own. Not by muscling it through, not by explaining it away, but by walking in an intimate, daily love relationship with him so that we can experience purity and, say, uh, <clears throat> and see God face to face one day. So where are you? Where are you in this diagram? Which ditch? Maybe you're not living in a ditch. Great. <laughs> Do you have a tendency towards a particular ditch? Most of us, at least I do, I bop back and forth. Kind of depends. <laughs> depends on my list, right? Depends on the day. Um, you might be a legalist if you have a feeling of superiority to others who are not living as morally pure as you are. You might be a legalist if you feel better about yourself if you're doing everything right. You, uh, you might be a legalist if you struggle with self-condemnation even after you've confessed. You might be a legalist if you have a hard time forgiving yourself. You might be permissive if you don't think sin is such a big deal. You aren't really bothered by the sin in the culture, the sin in your own life, the sin of the people around you. You're walking in the power in the Holy Spirit if you are sensitive to your own sin and are quick to confess it. You're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit if when you look at others' sin, you don't dismiss it or look down on them, but rather you see yourself in their struggles and acknowledge God's deep work in your own life. You might be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit if you are progressively experiencing God's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Self Let me encourage you to sit with Galatians 5 for a while. If this is resonating with you, if you're feeling like a legalist, if you're feeling overly permissive, Sit in Galatians 5 for a while. Let the Lord minister to you in his word. Learn to let the Holy Spirit produce the Christian life in your life. I'm going to close here by reminding us of why we're here. Jesus' promise. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Do you want to see God? We have seen uh, Jesus, um, we have seen by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that God has made us pure and that by walking in the way of grace through the Holy Spirit, we can avoid two ditches of legalism and permissiveness. 
and walk in, the, in Holy Spirit power. We are blessed and we uh, will be blessed by seeing God in everyday life. God is certainly showing himself through his word today. God is showing himself through prayer. God is showing himself through incredible uh, wonders of, of the created world, the stars. In a thousand ways, God is revealing himself to you through your friends, through your family, through a good meal, through meaningful work, through that cool winter air as you walk your way to the cars with a cheerful face. God, that is God smiling on you and showing his presence. And one day, one day we will stand before God and be overwhelmed by his presence. In recent years, I've found myself thinking more and more about two passages in particular. I think it's because I'm getting older and death doesn't feel so far away. <laughs> Hopefully it's not so. Matthew 25 and Revelation uh, 21. Matthew 25, 23 is a parable. Jesus is talking. He says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I've been thinking about that in conjunction with Revelation 21. In the most intimate, loving uh, passage, I think, is in Scripture. Jesus is, or John, <laughs> the, the writer John, being instructed by the Holy Spirit to write these words about the end of days. When we get to meet Jesus face to face, and he says, we will wipe away every tear from their eye, for he will, he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. One day, Christian, we will stand before Jesus. And he will put his hands on your shoulder. In the most beautiful, intimate act, he will wipe away a tear and look you in the eye and say, well done. Well done. For those who are pure. In Jesus' name, let's pray. What else can we do but to worship? You have done it all. You have made us right before you. You have made us pure. And as we walk with you, you help us to walk in purity, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, for these men and women and myself, will you help us? Will you teach us? Will you remind us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? Lord, would you help us to reject legalism? Will you help us to reject permissiveness? Will you help us to walk in a love relationship with you? And we look forward to the day when you look us eye to eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen.